Welcome to Home Education Matters, the weekly podcast supporting you on your home education journey. Welcome to Home Education Matters. We are joined today by Heidi Steele and we are discussing the ever fascinating topic of unschooling. And the reason I think it's fascinating is because of all the terms in the home education world. I think this is the one that is probably the least understood, the one with the most misconceptions and the one that even people who know about it really struggle to define it. (laughs) So we're going to we're going to attempt that tonight. Um, but first of all, Heidi, do tell us a bit about yourself and your home education journey and your unschooling journey. Fabulous. Thank you, Eleanor. Um, yeah, so we have always unschooled. So uh, my name's Heidi. I am a former teacher. So that's really where my interest and background in education began. And I was predominantly, so like my first love was early years, sort of play-based learning. I did a lot of studying and around child development and yeah that's where it all began for me um and then when I had my own children lo and behold um I said no um I don't want my children actually entering into this system certainly not at the age of four despite that being where I spent all my all my time I mean I had been teaching by then for just over 10 oh no maybe not quite 10 years because i I finished at 10 years, so maybe a bit less. Um, And I just had become a little bit disillusioned with the education system. There's a big mismatch between actual sort of scientific understanding about how humans learn and actually what happens in schools. And particularly for my eldest, as he was our first consideration, I knew that he wasn't emotionally ready to be apart from us as a family. Um, for six hours a day so we decided that we would home educate and specifically right from the outset decided that workbooks and sitting down curriculum style learning wasn't going to be applicable for him at the age of four Uh, we decided that he had done pretty well up until that point sort of playing and we were just going to continue continue doing that Um, until it didn't suit us anymore Mm. and now he is 15 and a half um, (laughs) and he doesn't play with lego quite so much anymore but we still haven't with him introduced curriculums Um, we have continued what we then discovered was called unschooling uh, yeah did you know it was a thing like when you started absolutely didn't even know it was a thing I just knew from my own you know academic background that children learn naturally through play and so we you know we decided that we would embrace fully embrace that and 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 see how it went I guess um it's interesting that as a teacher of early years you decided to turn away from the school system for your children because normally I think a lot of children come to home education round about 10, 11, and they consider the primary years to be the cuddly feely years, you know, when actually it's class sizes are quite small, it's a lot of playing, you know, it's quite, quite low stress. And then they, they drift towards home education as the SATs come in and then sort of into the secondary system. But for you, pretty early on, 
you know, in that kind of developmental age, you just thought, no, this isn't this isn't the right the right move for us. Yeah, right from the beginning, I knew that that wasn't going to be right. Like I said, for him, it was really about him not being emotionally ready. Um, I already knew from that offset, but academically, I wasn't really worried about about him academically. Um, but emotionally, I thought it would have a really big impact on him, like a detrimental impact. Um, and I also knew what was coming, you know, because even in primary schools, and, and it is worse now. So like I say, you know, we've now been doing this well over 10 years. Um, and it is worse now. You know, there are a lot less playtime, a lot less free play, um, a lot stricter focus on learning by rote. Um, lots of things that I think aren't actually beneficial or, beneficial or necessary um, for our children. And in many, many cases, really harmful, actually, and, and don't serve our children at all. Um, I've got um, four children. I don't just have one. Wow. Uh, You've got four children. children and you home educate all of them? Yeah, I home educate all of them. None of them have ever been, never been to school. Yeah. Do you follow the same approach with all of them, the unschooling approach? Yes. Yes, right, we so are fully immersed. <laughs> so let's have a go at defining what it is. So for anyone who's listening, I know it's a tricky one. Let's have a go at seeing if we can explain to our listeners what unschooling is. Um, I think, yeah, it's really, it is really tricky to define in a couple of sentences. Practically, it really comes down to it looks nothing like school. So in my home, um, there is probably, particularly in those primary years, there's going to be very little that resembles a school or me te actively teaching my children. Um, there is, we don't follow a curriculum, not even for reading or maths. You know, they don't do worksheets. They don't have a timetable. They don't have to ask permission to go to the toilet. <laughs> That's quite basic. <laughs> it, yeah, it looks, so everything that you would associate with maybe school type learning is not something that you would find particularly in the like I say in the primary years is not something you really find and also I think another key point is that I don't lead what they're doing mm -hmm. um, I have a role to play so we use the word facilitating a lot in unschooling um, so I help them to achieve what they want to to achieve um, I provide them with resources and I sit there and help them cut things up or we look things up on YouTube, answer their questions, you know, maybe find suitable sort of home ed classes if they want to explore that. Um, so I definitely have a role to play, but I'm not the one who is setting out what they're learning. I'm not saying we are going to spend half an hour reading today. You know, I, I really don't do that. But again, I might, so it's, this is why it's really tricky because I might make suggestions or I might offer them something. Um, so if there's something going on in our local community, I'll let them know and mm. say, oh, you know, your friends are doing this at the weekend or you're, you know, there's this um, class going on next week. What do you think? Um, but ultimately, they're the ones that sort of lead or they have the, they're the ones who make the decision about what they're doing. So, um, for example, if you you might say something like, oh, I'm going to be reading my book now. Does anyone want to come and join me reading? And then they're like, no, I'm quite happy where I am. And that would be that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, in fact, I'd probably put the book down and go and join them with what they were doing. And, oh, you know, why, why would you do that? So, you know, coming back to the idea of facilitating again, coming alongside them, supporting them where they are, showing an interest in what they're doing. Um, quite often we devalue, not purposely, but we devalue what they're doing by not showing an interest or by maybe trying to persuade them to do something else. We're saying what you're doing doesn't have value. So it's sort of the opposite idea of that. I go and join them and, and it says to them, this is important. This has value. I recognise that this is important to you, even if even if I don't know what you're doing, which, which with age, so my teens now, do things that I have very little understanding of because <laughs> that's what they're passionate about and that's what they are really immersed in. So I still show interest. I still ask them questions, but I'm not there doing it with them, not the same mm. way as I would when they were younger. So you, yeah. you you felt that by saying, oh, I'm going to be reading and then continuing to read, you were implicitly stating that you were almost judging their choice because you were choosing something else and that you're almost implicitly judging their choice as something that you didn't think was as worthy as reading. Is that what you mean, what you mean by that? Yeah, yeah, mm. I would. Mm. I mean, you know, this is, I mean, it's where it gets, this is why these discussions go on and on and we unpick and unpick <laughs> and unpick. Because obviously there's going to be times where I do want to read something maybe mm. for myself. I do want to pick up my gardening magazine or read a book about unschooling. And I do want to do that for myself. Um, but to try and drag them or entice, not drag them, maybe even entice them away from what they're doing, because I think that what I've got on offer mm. is better, I think gives them, sends them a, a message that says. Yeah, it implies a value judgment, doesn't it, yeah. that you're putting yeah. there? That's really interesting. So would you say that if I'm going to attempt to define unschooling and you can tell me I'm wrong because I've done this before and every unschool I've ever done it with tells me that I'm wrong. So I'm happy to be told that I'm wrong. Would you say that unschooling is is child led learning? So the child decides what, when, how, where, why they learn and you then facilitate that you open up the opportunities for them when they show an interest in a particular thing would that be right <laughs> I think people tend to look at it as child-led learning because it sits it's it sits much more comfortably under that umbrella if you're looking at two opposites so we're either child-led learning or the adult is mm. teaching um, and setting out what's going on and you and we're so used to um, in our society, having opposites, or they're everywhere. You know, you're either doing one thing or the other. And unschooling does lean more towards child-led learning. But what we do is not entirely child-led in that we work in partnership with our children. Um, so, yes, they get to say if they don't want to do something, they get to say if they do want to do something. But at the same time, we might have an input. We might say, well, do you know what? That's not appropriate for right now. Maybe it's something they've chosen that's not appropriate for right now. Or maybe we see something and we think, oh, my child would really like that. And you bring that into the mix. So it's more about working together with your child rather than sort of them being in, I mean, they are in control in that they can say no. Mm -hmm. um, but rather than it being about me following my child around all day, doing what they want. And when you put that into the context of for us, we're a large family. 
you know, my my children can't all be 100% child-led. It can't. We have to work together as a unit. We have to come together as a, you know, family group. So there has to be a lot of partnership work in there. There has to be a lot of discussion, a lot of negotiation going on rather than one child saying, actually, I want to sit and paint all day and another child saying, well, I want to to go out. You know, they both, you can't do that. It's not possible. Mm. Um, so, so we kind of probably use that term partnership to describe it rather than entirely child-led. But it does, it does fit more comfortably under that idea. Is it only in the arena of education? So is it different to say autonomous parenting or something like that? Is is it only in the arena of education that you allow the child to say, no, I don't want to do this. No, I don't want to do that. Yes, this is what I want to do. Or does it extend to your household in general, like bedtimes, food, you know, that kind of thing? Yeah, so for us, it started off as just being an educational idea. Like my child, you know, yes, my child is happy to play. What do they like playing with? I can resource that. We can find friends for him that also want to join with that. Um you know, we can then meet those friends elsewhere as well because now we've made a connection with other people. So it began with sort of the day-to-day, what is my child doing and how that contributes to their education. But actually, the more that we did that, the more that we began to explore the idea that maybe they could make choices in other areas too. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, you know, like I said, 10 years later, yes, now it absolutely encompasses decisions they make about everything in their life that some people might not see as educational although we would say as unschoolers they're learning all the time it's all about learning you know it's not all about learning but everything they do has an impact on their learning they're they're making decisions and they're figuring out the world around them so you know they they are really involved when they're making decisions about what they eat, when they eat, you know, going to the dentist, you know, what time they want to get up, how that's going to work, what they want to wear. Um, yeah, so lots of things and life aspects that we might not think are educational. But yeah, my children now definitely <laughs> embrace unschooling as a whole life philosophy. Does unschooling as a kind of term, does that just include the education? Or do you find that most unschoolers, if not all unschoolers, take your approach where it extends pretty much to the whole running of the house? Yeah, I think most people start with the idea that it's on ed- about education. That's how they enter into it. And so that you will find if you were going to, for example, Google it or maybe look up on social media, you might find a division in some groups between unschooling groups and then radical unschooling groups. And the radical unschooling groups will definitely be whole life, fully immersed, embracing the philosophy across all aspects um, of their of their children's lives. That's an American term, isn't it? Radical unschooling. Yeah. Do we have that in in the UK? Do we have an equivalent or would we just use that that same term? Do we I get the impression in England that uh, so in the UK, that unschooling is similar ish to radical unschooling in America. Yeah, a lot of the unschooling groups that I'm in, it's, I mean, you can sort of, you can tell when people are uh, entering 
as a new idea because they predominantly talk about education. Mm. But certainly, say, the well-established members, the longer-term members, the admin, um, they will definitely be, you know, whole-life unschoolers, radical unschoolers. Mm. Um, it's probably a bit like letting a genie out of the bottle, that it's probably very difficult to let the genie out of the bottle just for the education side without without it extending pretty much to everything, because it would be difficult to put those boundaries in, as you say, education is so expansive. Yeah, absolutely. It just, it makes sense. Once you start doing it, it makes sense. It might not make sense from the outset. You might think, well, I, I think we'll just <laughs> do this for education and I'll, you know, we'll maintain everything else as it is and how we, how well defined and we want it to be. But actually, as time goes on, it's a really common story for families to progress <laughs> into, um, you know, extending that idea that our ch- we can trust our children to make decisions and we can support them in those. I think that's a key idea, isn't it, in unschooling, that education is this expansive thing that you can't really define into small parameters of time of day or workbooks or subjects or curriculum. Yeah, so going back to that idea that it doesn't look anything like school, you know, we don't define things by the subjects that our children are doing, or we don't say, well, you can only learn when, you know, between the hours of nine and three, and then if you decide to, I don't know, read a fiction or do anything at nine o'clock mm. in the evening, that, that oh, that doesn't count. Mm. Um, it really opens your eyes to the fact that learning is everywhere. Um, learning is taking place all the time. Um, even in those little conversations you have when you're driving in the car or just before they go to sleep. Um, it just, you can't, once children are curious and mm. they've really ignited that natural curiosity that they have, you really can't, you can't stop. <laughs> you can't say, oh, hang on a minute. No more learning. Did we not <laughs> ask questions now? <laughs> Tempting <laughs> though it is sometimes. Right? Yes, well, could we just turn our brains off entirely and... Um, <laughs> Yes, I mean there are, you know, there are <laughs> there are some moments where you just think, actually, I'd just like to take a break. No more um, dialogue, please. No more discussions. No more dialogue. Yeah. Have you not been tempted at some point to say, just do, just do what I tell you to do because I don't want to talk about it all. I don't want to have a five-way discussion about it all. It must be tempting sometimes just to want to lay down the law just for the path of least resistance for you, I suppose. Yeah, I mean. It is the path of least resistance, which I think is why it's really tempting mm-hmm. um, and really popular, you know, out there in the world to have obedient children that do, do what you're saying. <laughs> Although the more I, I don't know, the more I get to know people, the more I think. I, I think it's a bit of a uh, elusive idea. I'm not sure anyone has entirely obedient children. Uh, to be honest, we've got to the point now where I couldn't, I wouldn't get away with that. They'd all just laugh at me if I yeah, said, right, revolution. that's it. Just need you to just do what I'm asking you right now. They'd all ask why, why? Because <laughs> that's how we work. Like, well, please explain to me <laughs> why we need to be doing this. Because of course there are times where you have to say, "Oh, I'm going to go and get this thing out the oven," and you know, so hang on, let's get the oven gloves, and they'll listen to me because you know mm. we have this partnership. You know, it's not just child-led. I don't just let my child stick their hands in the oven. You know, but there has to be like a, for them, they have to understand why, what's going on, why, why do I have to wait? Uh, mm. <laughs> that's quite a big one in our house. Why, do, you know, with so many of us, why do we have to wait? Well, we, we have to wait because we're waiting for your brother and it's polite. 
<laughs> so I'm guessing a lot of this is precursed by discussion. So I was going to ask, because I've done a podcast with an autonomous parent, and I asked her about red lines. Like, are there any things that you, you, you know, you say, no, okay, this is just a no. It's just a flat no. Um, and she did have one, as it happens, but I won't give away what it is. People don't have to listen to the podcast because it may surprise you. Um, but do you have any red lines that you're like, you know, this is a flat no, you can't do it? Or maybe you have to do it. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe you have to do it. Um, that's an interesting idea. Um, are there any flat lines? I would say for me, um, you know, so like the oven gloves and the oven, sort of safety, I will step in and make sure my children are safe. All of them, you know, and that includes if one of them decides that they're going to be physically aggressive to another. Mm. You know, there, there are you know, I'll step in, that's not, we don't hurt each other, and we will resolve that another way instead. Um, so I guess safety really is the biggest. What about health? No. I, mean, I, I often ask, a lot of my friends are unschoolers, in fact, all, almost all my friends are unschoolers, and I often ask them about health, and I say, what about things that impact on your child's health and that the child, maybe they're quite young and they don't see the long-term effect of what they're doing. Say, for example, they don't want to clean their teeth and they're like, you know what? Cleaning my teeth is pointless. I don't care about my teeth anyway. You can just get dentures, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you have a big, long discussion back and forth, back and forth. And you provide them with all the literature and all the information they need to realize that it's important that they clean their teeth and they still do not want to. I mean, does that count as a safety thing? Does it, does, where does it, it's difficult, isn't it? With the boundaries to know sort of what is safety, what, what is health, what is, what is something you need to actively intervene with? Right. So for me, this comes down to your individual children um, because some children will find that so difficult that it will raise their anxiety so high that actually you are having a negative, if you are, persevering with the with the insistence or the trying to explain it to them it actually raises their anxiety so high so you're not so whilst you might be addressing their physical health you're actually having a mm. huge negative impact on their mental health and for me the mental health takes priority if, if we're gonna make a decision around that um, so that's why it comes down to individual children some children like to have things explained to them, like they like the literature, they like having the explanation, like if you clean your teeth, you know, you'll have strong, healthy teeth and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And that works for them. And some children just need to experiment with a million toothpastes and have different <laughs> different things on offer and, and get a fancy timer or time on the phone or have, a you know, doing it in such a way that is interesting, exciting maybe or just removing barriers for them so maybe they don't want to go through the routine of doing it every evening you know maybe they're sat in front of the tv after dinner and you bring them a toothbrush and mm. a spit bowl and they do it while they're watching watching tv you get so it's um, all about finding routes to honor their choice yeah um in a kind of compromising partnership way yeah in that partnership way like mm. i hear what mm. you're saying let's try this or let's try this or let's have fun with this or let's do it this way instead. Um, and you get really, really good at problem solving <laughs> <laughs> um, and trying things and being okay with things not 
working like just trying something else instead I think some parents must find unschooling quite easy and I think other parents or other people must find unschooling really challenging and I would have thought that people who are quite controlling who like to have sort of you know a sense that they know what's happening when that they have a structure because it makes them feel more comfortable and relaxed and they also like to you know to be in control of what's happening around them and what the people are doing around them that must be very difficult I would have thought being an unschooler you you're totally smiling because it, you, you totally have I described me. you have I? <laughs> I would totally love you know sort of pre-children and pre-children being able to speak and tell me no um, <laughs> pre-children I had a very ordered life um you know I liked schedule I liked to know what I was doing and when now the maximum amount of control I have is over my laundry cupboard. <laughs> that's it. That's your Just domain. Remember, that's my domain. Yeah, my my laundry cupboard. That's it. Now that's like the only place. Like everything's organised. Towels, <laughs> pillows, <laughs> dog towels. Um, that, but that's it. That's. <laughs> do you that's... do you find as an unschooler that it's difficult to? get time for yourself because I think that is probably what a lot of people would say that home educating itself is difficult you know you're not exactly a you know lady that goes out for lunch when you home educate are you let's face it and then um and then obviously adding unschooling into the mix you don't even get that because I did a I did my master's when my children were like nine and ten I would not have been able to do that if I was an unschooler because I'd have had to be there ready to help them and to facilitate whatever they're interested in doing whereas what I did instead was like this is now lesson time sit down do your lessons because I'm doing my work and I wonder is there an element that you sort of as an unschooler you really do have to say I'm going to have to put me on the back burner for a few years and sort of dedicate myself to this yeah, you really have to buy into it. You have mm. to be prepared, I think, because a lot of people use the term lazy for unschoolers, which is so far from the truth, it's laughable. They use um, the term what? Lazy. It's lazy. lazy. You let your children do what mm. they like all the time. That's lazy, isn't it? They yeah, think you're sitting on the sofa just letting them run around. Yeah, that sort of idea. Um, and actually, it's definitely the opposite. Being So I use the terms present, available and attentive. Um, so we'll go for that present, being present with your children, being and that particularly in those former years, so think primary years, mm. um, that's really intensive being with your children pretty much all the time. Um, and then and then as they begin to become more independent, um, being available for them for when they you know, because they can't do everything, even if they're stretching out into independence, being mm. available um, for them as well. So so my teens, for example, have definitely made a shift into being more independent. They book, book their own stuff. They buy their own equipment. They do their own research on what they need. Um, they, they sign up for their own sessions. Um, they really, you know, have stepped into the whole self-directed, you know, they actually do it themselves now because they don't need me so much for that but they still need me to ask questions like mm. ask me what I think about this or they were talking to their friend about that and they're not sure about it or they saw this and they're not you know they saw this thing online and they're not really sure what that is and and, and they just want to tell me about their day as well you know they like touching base and 
you know, the typical teenage years, you know, I am the person who taxis them around. <laughs> you know, Mama, <laughs> can you do this? Can you take me here at this time? And that sort of thing. So do I have much time to myself? I have more time to myself now my children are older. Um, mm. So it's a gradual increase in the time that I have. But it's certainly initially I found myself doing things that I could put down quite quickly. Yeah. Um, so I couldn't really commit myself to like going to lunch, for example. Yeah. Um, or going to an exercise class or doing an online anything where I had to concentrate for a period of time. Doing things that I could do that were for me, but things that I could easily put put down. Yeah. So reading. Pick up and, and put like, down yeah, stuff. Yeah, I do like reading. Yeah. So reading was something that I did gardening. I quite like gardening, but they're things that you can literally drop, you mm. know, when mm. somebody needs you. It's interesting you say that about the misconception uh, that unschoolers are lazy. And I I can see what they're thinking. They're thinking, like I say, that you sort of lounge around on the sofa and you, there's no rules just so that you don't have to impose the rules. So it's this idea that it's that it's like it's the easy route because you don't want to have to impose discipline. So you just don't impose discipline. And obviously that is a misconception. Are there any other do you think major misconceptions about unschooling? I think there's a lot of things that aren't understood so you know how a lot of the questions that I get asked are around um, exams like how how will you do exams or do they do exams or how do they get jobs if they if they've never had anybody tell, telling them what to do how, yeah, how are they prepared bed? for the real yeah, world what happens world when they have a boss that wants yeah. them to get up and go go to work and they just want to yeah. stay in bed that that is something that people do posed to unschoolers right I mean how would you answer that question about how will they learn that there are some things they need to do even if they don't want to do them it's always a challenging question to answer because I think there are less things in this world that we need to do than we think we need to do yeah yeah um but when we come across something we need to do we do it (laughs) because Mm. we need to do it and there's usually so there's a really big element in unschooling about being intrinsically motivated you know, the if the motivation to do something comes from the individual. They're not they're not primarily motivated in terms of when we compare it with school, um, by somebody else saying if you do this you'll get a sticker or a, mm. an award or an exam. So everything they do is because they want to do it. Um so with that in mind, if they want the job where they have a boss and the boss says this is your timetable. Um, they do it because they want to do it. They want to be there in that place doing that work. Yeah. And part of that is, okay, I, you know, my 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 teens do that now. They do do the traditional sort of sleeping later than most other human beings. Um, but if there's something they want to do, if there's a friend they want to go and see and their friend is only available at nine o'clock in the morning, they'll set their alarm and they'll get up and go because that's yeah. what they want to do. Mm. Um, so they say they have a, that motivation. What if a child, say, had no intrinsic motivation to to do any kind of academic study? And they didn't want to sit exams and they weren't interested in anything like that. And they had no intrinsic motivation to take that route. As an unschooler, I'm assuming you would just respect that and then let them follow their interests elsewhere. Okay, so you're nodding. So what then happens sort of when they're 25 and they decide they want to become a lawyer? At that point, 
their intrinsic motivation is I want to become a lawyer, but they haven't got the things they need, which are the GCSEs, the A-levels, the degree. At that point, would you just be like, well, now's your time to go and get them? Yeah. So you'd look up what do you need um, and you'd go and you'd go and do it. And I mean, I'm really I'm really fortunate to have good material on this, you know, because my sister learnt, went back to university and trained to be a nurse in her late 30s. My other mm-hmm. sister in her late 30s changed business careers entirely and set up her own baking business after owning a pub for, for 10 years. You Actually, know, adults do it a lot, don't they? They change, change the tack. My husband mm. went to university 20 years after he'd done his O-levels. So they were completely out of date, and I'm obviously aging my husband there. Um, and he <laughs> went back to university. And when he was applying, he applied to, you know, about five, I think it was, universities. Two of them said the course isn't for you three of them wrote back and said you need to apply to do the masters you've been bored doing the bachelors and he Mm. went straight in after 20 years of no academic education and leaving he left school at 16 with his five o levels and he and he went in and did a and did a masters i mean adults do it all Mm. the time there's loads of stories out there there's it's just i think we've got into this mindset that there's only one way to do education you know we go to school we do the GCSEs we do the A-levels you go to university and that's what you do Um, but actually there are hundreds and hundreds of people out there that don't do that Um, there's certainly a growing number of universities that take students on portfolios or interviews or you can go in and do sort of foundational courses um, so that you can then get access to the degree that you want to do. There's just lots of different ways of mm. doing things. And then there's all the vocational uh, routes as well. Um, and then, you know, this week, I'm just going to go on and on. I've got, I collect examples because people always <laughs> pass it. Um, this week, we have actually had builders in our house um, actually working in our garden. And I was chatting to the young lad who out there, who was a well, young lad, who's probably in his early 20s. So he is a young lad, but just <laughs> defining what I mean by young lad. Um, and he was doing the stonework out there for us. And I said to him, I was watching him and he was just so meticulous and brilliant. And it was like proper craftsmanship. Mm. And I said to him, well, where did you learn to do that? And he says, oh, I left school and joined the building company and I've just picked it up as I've gone along. You know, they took mm. him under their wing and, and like an apprentice, I guess. That's what he wanted to do. So he went and got a Saturday job with them, and and now he's doing really beautiful stonework in my in my garden. Um, <laughs> Would you say for people who are listening that they may think I really want to unschool? Like the approach really appeals to me, but I want my child to have exams and options for the future. Would your response be, "Look, it's okay. There's multiple routes for them in the future. There's opportunities in the future if they wanted to do exams, and it's more important that you respect what it is they want to do now." rather than planning for their future yeah and and I mean I'm you know we talk I don't want to talk about the downsides of unschooling but one of the downsides of unschooling is I'm going to ask you you about it so don't worry okay um (laughs) you really do end up having to let go of what you think their future looks like yes Mm. GCSEs are the one you've planned for yeah the one you've planned in your mind (laughs) yes GCSEs are still a possibility and A levels I know unschooling families their children have gone to sort of 14 16 provision um in colleges you know that's all open to them how have they found that move from unschooling to like a college (sighs) 
find, you know, it's an individual thing. I think some of them find it a bit bumpy, mm. um, if I'm honest. Um, but on the same, at the same time, um, others of them are ready for it. And because they're ready, it works. You know, so we um, traditionally in schools enforce that type of learning on children very, very young. And we tell them that this is how they are going to do it. And this is the only way to do it. And if they don't do it this way, they're going to fail. Um, there's lots, lots going on there. Um, but it is it's sort of enforced on them very young. And by the time they get to sort of teens, dare I say, they've had enough. Mm. And then because of the growth and development of adolescent humans, quite often they express that in different various different ways. Um, whereas children who come to it naturally in their own time, they're ready for it and they're there and they're saying, come on, I'm ready. Like, this is what I want. I want to know more about this thing that I'm here to learn more about, whatever it is that they've chosen to do. They're ready and they're really excited about it. So it really works when, so we're coming back to that choice. We're coming back to, you know, when the time's right and when, you know, when they're intrinsically motivated, then it works. We interrupt this broadcast to remind you to like and subscribe to our podcast. And don't forget to join our Home Education Matters Facebook group, where you can find details on all our podcasts, any links or resources mentioned, chat to our guests, request upcoming podcasts, and even come on the podcast yourself. Do join us over there. That leads me to my next question, which is the situation you've just described is when someone who's been unschooled, then they choose to go to college and they're ready for the learning. They've been respected and they've they've uh, they've had their choices respected. They've realized that learning takes place in you know every kind of context and every environment. And they're in charge of their own learning and a, and a have a natural curiosity and a love for learning. They go to college and they're like, yeah, brilliant. Teach me theoretical physics. I, I love it. What about the people who are listening who have done it the other way around? So they've maybe just taken their child out of school at like 12, 13, and they want to unschool, but they're thinking, my child just is totally bruised and battered from school. They're alienated from their learning. They don't really understand their own sense of autonomy because they haven't been able to practice it at school. Where do they start? I mean, is it the same process or is there a different sort of, uh, is there a different technique, I suppose, if your child has just come out of school? So there's a time period which we would call de-schooling where we would really say about taking a break from any learning, um, specific, like any really obvious learning, like, you know, don't start bringing them textbooks or, oh, I saw mm. this lovely book on whatever that I thought you might be interested in just take a complete step back from everything um you know it's really about so I'm going to use words like recovery healing time giving them time to process <laughs> you know all those things that have impacted their lives up until now because like you say children that leave school at at the ages that you're talking about often leave school because they've had significantly bad experiences yeah. um, and they're bruised and they're upset and they're miserable and and they feel like failures they have been told for many many years that that school is the place to be if they're going to be a success and if they're not in school then you know so that you know we talk about the messages they get around attendance if you're not in school you don't get your attendance award award 
if you're not in school, you know, you're quite often shamed about it. You know, there is a lot going on, bless them, for children that come out of school um, and they need time to process that and heal. And, and for the parents as well, and I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. So really practically, that means really stepping away from enforcing any type of learning and really doing what your child needs, which might be lying on the sofa for a bit or a lot, <laughs> um, <laughs> watching Netflix. And it might be that they want to do things that are not associated with school, say going to the beach or going to the cinema or swimming, something that they really like and enjoy doing. Mm. And um, and spending lots of time doing that. What about parents that are listening and they they would say, well, you know, I've taken my 13, 14 year old out of school. They're, you know, they've been bullied, they've got anxiety, all these sort of terrible traumatic episodes. And all they want to do is lie around on the sofa or lie around on their bed on their phone or play their Xbox or whatever. And I hear this all the time in Facebook groups. And then the parent says, I can't just let them do that forever. If I let them do that, they would just do that forever. And I mean, would you just say, just let them and see, let them work it through? Or would you would you sort of say, well, at this point, it's maybe not best for their mental health to just be on their Xbox, you know, literally all day, all night. Would you then sort of bring in that partnership and say, look, how about this? How about this? How about that? Yes, that's what I was going to say. It's, it goes back to doing that partnership thing and it not just being child-led, like not just letting your child do, you know, staying up all day and staying up all day and all night and doing something that maybe is very repetitive, um, but offering them, like offering them other options and they might tell you no a lot and it might be really hard um but showing them what else there is available um sometimes like we said at the beginning about that reading idea but sometimes people say you know i'm going to go out on a walk or explaining what makes you feel better not in a teachy way but in a actually particularly if your child's 14 or 15 maybe it would be okay to leave them for half an hour and say i find it really helps me if i go on a walk every day so i'm going to do this um would you like to come with me? No. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I'm going to go for a walk. What if a year um, later they're still saying no? Yeah, interesting. If a year late, I would be quite surprised if a year later they were saying still saying no, that they hadn't started branching out into other things. Mm. Um, but being okay with whatever they choose to do. So we're going back to that valuing thing. Don't, mm. you know, so not starting to put more value on exercise or reading a book. Um, but actually, if they're showing signs of you know, they want to, maybe they just want to go and buy a hot chocolate at the local cafe, then do that and do it together. Do nice things together. Um, and try and make being at home as comfortable as possible, which is a is a countercultural idea that we should um, maybe even be nice to our children. Um, but try and make <laughs> it as comfortable as possible for them. You know, make sure they've got the food that they really like. Um, you know, make sure they've got access to a Netflix account, you know, make sure that they, if they want to go and have hot chocolate, just go and do that, do nice things together. Um, it is counterintuitive for a lot of parents, isn't it? Because 
that feels like that rather unpleasant granny type phrase that you're spoiling the children. Um, And it's a horrible phrase and I really dislike it, but it's that idea, isn't it? That your child is lounging around, they're saying no to everything. They're being a bit stroppy and you're then sharing them with lots of lovely stuff. And I think as a parent, sometimes you can think, am I rewarding their bad behavior? Is this what I'm doing? I mean, you wouldn't do that with a four-year-old or would you? I don't know. Maybe you would. Yeah, so now we're talking about behaviour. That's like a whole other, <laughs> that's like a whole other topic. <laughs> um, behaviour. So let's just um, let's start with the idea that um, your child's behaviour is giving you a message. It's not about whether they're being badly behaved or you know good, their behaviour is really good. Actually, they're trying to tell you something, particularly under the banner of what we may traditionally call bad behaviour. Um, actually, they're telling you. They're telling you know. So if we go back to the example of children who are coming out of school and they just want to play on the Xbox or they just want to lie on the sofa all day or they're maybe being quite rude in their language to you and being quite aggressive. They're telling you that their capacity is really low. They're telling you that they've got, they're having a hard time. Um, and the way to like, help them not have a hard time is to do something nice for them. Yeah, you know, make the time making, nicer. Yeah, make the time nicer. Don't make it more difficult. Don't insist that because they're 14, they need to make their own lunch. Make lunch for them or take them out to lunch. You know, like if that's going to make them move, maybe do that. Go out and have lunch together. And does yes. that hold sort of generally so what if you've got a child who who hasn't been at school you know isn't sort of traumatized and just likes lounging around on the sofa with the same go that you'd be like well I'll make you lunch because I like making you lunch and it makes you happy or at that point would you be more like how about you make your own lunch or not make just not making just not I would never ever choose to deliberately not make lunch for my children Hmm. and put them in a position where they then had to Mm. Um, if I am able to, then I make then I make them lunch. So, you know, this for me comes down to so for example, my husband now works at home. Okay, and there are some times when he is really, really busy. Now, if he's really busy and he is unable to make his lunch, or he's gonna quickly like enter the kitchen, grab a slice of bread and then disappear again, or a bag of crisps, <laughs> and that's it. If I've got the time to do it, I will make him lunch. I won't yeah. go, well, no, you're old enough to make your own lunch and to manage your own time while you're at it. Why haven't you scheduled yourself a lunch break so that you can it's, actually do it? It's um, strange, isn't it, the way we treat children that we would never treat adults? <laughs> yeah, so that's how that's how I like to frame it. Like, I wouldn't insist with my husband that he should, you know, <laughs> manage his own time better and <laughs> make his own lunch because he's old enough. I'm making lunch because I'm in the kitchen. I'm making lunch for myself. I'm usually making lunch for at least a couple of other people. So I make lunch for him. So this Um, brings me on to a a controversial word that I'm going to throw in like a bit like an incendiary. What about resilience? What about building resilience? Resilience is a dirty word I know in lots of communities, but in in a lot of psychotherapeutic communities and a lot of psychology departments (laughs) around the world resilience is the new buzzword it's the new thing that everyone needs to have so what about this idea that as parents we're responsible for building resilience in our children and exposing them to to situations that are difficult for them exposing them to 
um, you know, saying no, creating boundaries, all that kind of stuff. You know, this idea of toughening them up, which is what what we used to call it, but nowadays we call it resilience because it sounds nicer. Yeah, I think this really comes down to the idea that a lot of people think that home education is somehow not immersed in real life. My children, they have real life. You know, we go out, we have friendship groups, you know, they're immersed in whatever they want to play with or they make. And in real life, you are going to come up against situations which require resilience. I don't have to create <laughs> and falsify situations for them. But what I am able to do, which maybe some people wouldn't do, but I will help my children through that. I won't leave them alone in that place. I will be there with them. Um, and when they are ready, because it does happen, and it happens really naturally, people say, well, how do you know they're ready? Well, it, it's a little bit like, you know, how do you know when they're about to get up and walk when they're toddlers? Well, you can't, like, I can't tell you when every child is going to do it. Mm. But you as a parent recognise when, at what stage, it's okay to sort of take your hands a little bit further away from them or step a little bit further back. It really happens very naturally. So back to the resilience idea. It ha- it's going to come up naturally in their lives. You don't have to create a falsify mm. situation um for it to be um taught to them i did that in inverted commas but <laughs> can't see what i'm doing um and also i would be with them through those situations you know emotionally supporting them uh, maybe guiding them if they don't understand what's going on so being there to, to say maybe interpret the situation if they're at a point where they don't really understand what's happening um until they were ready to do it on their own. I think that idea, that misconception that, back to misconceptions again, this idea that home educators and unschoolers live in a kind of bubble where only lovely things happen to the children and they're never exposed to real life. How would they be ready for real life? As if we're somehow educating them and, and living with them as a family in some sort of mystical fairy tower where real life doesn't happen and I think it's the same kind of argument that people use about school isn't it putting their child into school they say things like well how will they be ready for the real world and how will you toughen them up if they don't go to school and I always say well you don't expose a child to traumatic experiences because you say well that will toughen them up because all you get is a traumatized child you don't get a resilient child so that's going to lead me back nicely to exams Because you mentioned exams, and I think this is something that really gets mentioned a lot with unschooling, is this idea that as a parent, it's your job to open up opportunities for your child. And part of that is ensuring that they have a kind of basic number of, say, GCSEs, like maybe just English language, maths, a couple of others or whatever, just so that they do have options later in life and they wouldn't have to go back and do GCSEs. Is there any kind of position in unschooling where you're like, I'm going to explain to my child how important these things are and hope that they agree? Or or would it really just be a case of it's okay whenever, you know, when and if, and if they don't want to, it's fine? Yeah, probably a bit of both. My children know that they're options and they're there if they want to do them. But at the moment, my two older ones, so 15 and a half, so he is actually, so his schooled peers, 
are preparing for their GCSEs next summer. But my 15 and a half and my 13 year old have absolutely no interest at all um, in doing any formal academics. Um, but they do equally, they know that they're options and they're there mm. if and when they want to. But it's, you know, it's interesting that you sort of talked about, you know, having having them so that they, I can't remember what the phrase you use now was, but so that, you know, they had them there so that just in so their, yeah, in, in their, their back, back pocket, pocket you know, if they need thing. them. Mm. Um, but, you know, you can take GCSEs whenever you like. Mm. Uh, you don't have to be 16 to take your GCSE. You can go back and do them whenever you want. And equally, they're actually only valued for, I think, about five years. And then after that, you would have to either have had the relevant experience to, to prove that, that sort of, they'd sort of been maintained, I guess, is the idea, or you would have to retake them if you had a major shift in employment and what you and what you wanted to do. You've got four children, all different ages. Do you find that unschooling looks different when your child is five to when your child is 15? Or is is it in principle exactly the same? So in principle, what I do is exactly the same. I am, I'm here, I'm facilitating what my child wants, I'm working in partnership with them. We haven't really talked about relationship, which is really important in school. I've got it you down know, on my list. Oh, okay, that's like my priority is where's my relationship at with my children? And then every choice we make is about is this, um, is this choice that we're making, like confirming things like trust and, and support for my my children and, and good things for, for our ongoing relationship. Um, so all the sort of principles are the same, but it looks very different. And this is also why it looks very different in different households, because not all households have four children. Not all households have my four children. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we are all, all human beings are different and individual. Um, and so apply those principles to what that looks like can be very, very different. So what I do with my eight-year-old is very different to what I do with my 15-year-old. I spend a lot more time with my eight-year-old because she needs more help with things and making decisions and she's not as emotionally mature and she's she's not able to maybe organise her own days that she'll come at me with a million things that she wants to do, not realising that a million things is really overstretching our our time allocation because we've only got 24 hours um, or maybe only two hours. Um, so she needs a lot more support than my, and, and very different support to my 15-year-old. Um, mostly me and my 15-year-old enjoy going to watch Marvel movies together. Um, we send each other lots of different memes um, <laughs> via, via text. Um, that's sort of our way of um, doing things and he's also really I'm gonna say he's really considerate so my husband not only works at home but sometimes works away from home like for a week and he really ups his game when my husband's not around you know he'll come and help feed the animals and then and when he's down he'll come downstairs so he spends a lot of time um, doing digital artwork in his room actually and he'll come downstairs and he'll clean the kitchen and you know he really we have a lot of nice moments in those times um as well we sort of move around each other in the kitchen space and and it's and it's nice and we chat 
but the support he needs, it looks very different. Do you find that with your teenage children, because you've not really done chores and, you know, you've got to do X amount of chores before you have your Xbox or whatever, do you find that because you've not done that, they're much more willing to join in and volunteer and help out because it's something that you haven't forced upon them. They see it as something that's optional and then they choose that option. Yeah, it's a bit hard to make the comparison because I've obviously not, mm. because I've not done the chore chart route. Um, it's a bit difficult for me to say what how, how they would feel about that. But I ask them if they'll do things and predominantly my eldest in particular, he will predominantly say, yes, he's quite flexible about it. So he might say, I'm going to finish this before I do before I take the bins out or you know I'm watching this program and it'll finish at five o'clock or I'm playing this game with you know whatever friend and they can only play until seven so he'll sort of but it's not a negotiation because because he doesn't have to negotiate with mm. it. he's just mm. saying yes I'll do it and I'll do it then um and this is all part of the relationship, isn't it, that you've built up the where respect and partnership are at the, at the sort of foundations of the relationship. Yeah, absolutely. So it looks very different from my 13-year-old. His neurology is very different. Um, and so uh, he finds that sort of direct asking him to do things very difficult. But again, over time, that's that's changed like sometimes I'll go into his room and he can just tell by my face now and he'll say it's okay mum I'll take my dishes downstairs in a minute (laughs) (laughs) oh that's where all the plates have gone Uh, and and but you know but a year ago he wouldn't have said that a year ago I would I would have had to say I'm gonna have to come in and get the plates because I need them Mm. okay you can do that um whereas now you know we're a year on and now he'll say I'll bring them down um, and then he'll bring them down and he'll put them in the dishwasher. Um, <laughs> but it's been a very different process with him and having to respect his no <laughs> has been a very big part of that. It's okay for him to say no, um, which then actually in time has meant he's then relaxed into the idea that actually then he can do it um, yeah. because he, because, he because they feel heard. No is an option. Yeah, yeah they, they feel that no is heard. I'm going to very quickly ask you a question about the LA, the local authority, because I know that many people think I'd like to unschool, but how would I actually be able to send my annual report into the local authority if we're not, you know, how do I do it if we're not doing lessons? How, you know, how do I give the, you know, how do I say, okay, we're working on this, we're working on that. How do I do that when I unschool? So is there a different process for writing reports when you're on school? Is it a kind of dark art that you have to know the right kind of things to say? <laughs> I like that idea that it's a dark art. <laughs> um, you can get lots of help with it on various different Facebook groups. It's certainly something I offer for people. I've got lots of advice, which I have to say is in line with all the Facebook groups as well. It's just I've collated it into one space and you know another place for people to find it is it a dark art yeah I think you have to apply some time to it because I think it's not as easy as saying you know my child does half an hour of reading eggs every day and here's a, and here's a certificate yeah. that are mm. um, we're doing this math program we're taking this class although my, some of my children do do classes 
and I would put that in my report. So yes, I think there is an art to it, but it's not impossible. It's far from it's far from impossible. It's totally possible once you've maybe got your own. The problem that we have is that we're asking parents to get their head around unschooling, and at the same time as having to then translate that to the mm. authorities. So it feels like a really um, quite a big hurdle, um, I think, for a lot of people. But it's totally possible. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I've done a whole webinar on it. <laughs> I could I talked about it for an hour and a half. Wow. But it's really hard to to sum up. Distill down. Right? Yes, distill um that down. Other than saying yes, it is possible. And, you know, when we realise that learning um is everywhere and when we get into the habit of instead of saying, This is what I planned and they did this, looking at what they've done and, and writing it down retrospectively. So so a curriculum sets it out in advance. And then we say, look, look what my child has done. They did this curriculum, da da da. Um, it's looking at it retrospectively and say, what has my child done today? You know, my child wrote Christmas cards today. Um, one of my children needed to copy the words. The other one had to go at doing it on their, doing it on their own. You know, we've counted cars. We've looked at paying for our parking tickets and how that, how you know, how many we looked up how many hours we've been there and how much that would cost and and then looked at the increments between each of the hour segments and how that worked you know and that's our you know that's our maths that's like our little maths input for the for the day and then you know they've done a gym class and we've followed a sat nav and they've just been out to see christmas lights and done like a little you know that's that's geography and Mm. also Mm. our religious education you know they've been out to see how do other people celebrate christmas Um, and once you start doing that and you're in the habit of it writing a report mm. it's really totally possible it's, it's a shift in your mind isn't it to recognizing all the learning that they're doing that maybe isn't the learning that we've been brought up thinking is learning but is still learning what are the main facebook groups that people could join for support in unschooling would it be uk un is the main one yes is that what it's called is it? I feel is like it, it is. Is uh, it Unschooling unschool, unschool unschool UK, UK Unschooling Network? Something like that. In the Home Education Matters Facebook group, I'll put the links in for the unschooling group. Before we finish, I wanted to ask you a little bit. We talked a bit about some of the negatives, lack of time for yourself to a degree, having to give up your idea of what your child might be, you know, the doctor, the lawyer, whatever. Are there any other sort of things that you think yeah that is probably a negative in all honesty that is that is a negative to unschooling is there anything that you can think of that we haven't yeah you know it's really hard work it's not lazy it's really Mm. hard work um finding places that suit your child um so you know let's go back to school because it's the obvious example we don't just go to the local school and say this this is where you're going that's it like it or lump it Mm. (laughs) you know and you have to go there every day um, so working really hard to find places that really suit your children. Um, and that includes groups, classes, you know, social uh, meetups as well. And finding other families who are unschooling. Now, we're, you know, we are friends with a lot of local families and they're very unschooling accepting. Um, in fact, actually, we do have quite a large number of unschoolers where, where we live. Um, and we're very fortunate and we have an, a group of people that are very unschooling accepting um, but that might not be what they're actually doing yeah I would say that's a downside finding 
groups that suit our children because even um home educating classes and groups can be quite schooly yeah um and that suits some home educating families because you know the joy of home educating is you can choose mm-hmm. how you do it so you know that's one of the that's a really really big perk but finding the right groups for your children so I'm thinking things like scouts and things like that must be very difficult because they are quite authoritarian, aren't they? And I know that my children, they do not respond well to that kind of slightly traditional, um, you know, when adults just don't just uh, just completely dismiss a child's opinions. My children just aren't used to that. And they're very like, whoa, whoa, what's happening here? You need to be listening to what I'm saying because it has value. And so I find that it is difficult when they're joining some of these more traditional kind of groups, these after school clubs, things like that, because there's an assumption that all the children will have that kind of slightly school approach where they just do what they're told. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly, I mean, my younger two really like a class, particularly my 10 year old. Um, She loves somebody with like, this person knows what they're talking about and I am I want them to tell me everything and show me everything and she is there but it has to be about subjects that she likes she definitely has a time limit as well she couldn't do that for six hours in a school you know like an hour and then she's like okay I'm saturated now I'm done but she really likes a class and so does my younger one my older two have never liked classes and they still don't um and sort of being okay with that can take quite a lot of work on the heart on on the part of the adult and maybe that's that's something that's really tricky kind of doing that work how does this work is this actually really okay you know what is going on will it be okay you know all the questions that we, we've sort of been answering tonight doing that for ourselves is a really ongoing process I think because our children or certainly my children I'm just going to speak for myself my children have really pushed me to the edges of where we started oh okay we started with um yes let's continue my child playing and learning to play and the things that he loves whilst in the back of my thinking oh one day he'll go to a group or he'll do mm. a class no it's like he can't <laughs> he doesn't want someone telling him what to do he wants to figure it out himself and I am happy to report that I'm comfortable with that <laughs> and that you know he's doing really well like he looks up he looks up things on YouTube or he contacts somebody that else, a friend that he knows is really into the thing that he's really interested into. And they arrange to meet and talk about it. And they, like, they sort of information swap mm. um, and share resources with each other. And, and they're doing it. They're just doing it a different, they're just doing it a different way. I think that really nicely leads me into the last thing I was going to ask you because For me, it feels like unschooling is as much a journey for the parent as it is for the child and a real journey of self-development and I I guess just fulfilling a certain potential as a parent and just really a journey of self-discovery. And I think that's probably, in my eyes, as not an unschooler, that must be one of the best bits about being an unschooler, this slightly roller coaster journey of personal discovery that your children take you on and I wonder if there what are your favorite bits about unschooling what are the bits that you think make it just the best choice I absolutely I'm going to come back to relationship I love the relationship that I have with my children it is so different to the relationship I had with my parents particularly through the teenage years it's invaluable that and I wouldn't I wouldn't swap that even for you know grade a student 
or you know top of the class bachelor's degree um that for me is just mind-blowing that that was even possible and certainly when we first started hearing about that when we were reading about unschooling and prioritizing the relationship and sort of stepping into the idea of letting them make choices about other things and <laughs> it felt very um difficult it felt really tricky and you and I spent a lot of time listening to other people that had gone before us and going really is this is this and they a little bit like I am now were glowing about mm-hmm. the relationship that they had with their children and the relationship my children have with each other as well yeah that's really 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 good and for myself like so much has changed about myself um as I as you know over the last 10 years you know my children we apply these principles to our children and and we say oh you know it's okay for them to make mistakes it's okay for them to try things out and maybe change their mind and then you think well hang on a minute maybe I could do that maybe I could try (laughs) out ice skating and like if I don't like it it doesn't matter like like I tried it or Mm. maybe I'll or you know so the idea of like reading a book and I always used to think oh that book's maybe a bit too big I'm never going to get to the end of it. And it would stop me even starting. Like, I'd just, like, not buy the book, even though it looked really interesting. I'd just go, oh, it's too big. I'll never get to the end. Um, and actually saying, well, why Why do I have to read that book in a week or two weeks or a month? You know, why can't I just buy the book and then read a little bit? And then when I've got, you know, next month, I'll read a little bit more. And it might take me two years to do it, but I've, but I've done it rather than not doing it at all because I've just written it off as if it's too big I don't know it just it I think for me it's really challenged um my thinking about how we do things and the rules that we put like our own barriers actually that we put in place around how we should be doing things mm-hmm. um and actually saying actually most of that's it's just not most of it's not true I think you're I think yeah. you're so right because I think how we treat our the people how we treat the people that we love when we treat them with respect and compassion it tends to have the knock on effect that we then treat ourselves we're more inclined to treat ourselves with respect and compassion because it feels so discontinuous in some way to be treating everyone in the family in this loving supportive gentle nurturing way and then to have negative self you know negative inner voice that is so different to that that I think it can be very I think it's one of these journeys you know like you say where you end up sort of treating yourself in the same way that you treat your children because it just doesn't feel right not to do with that and I mean that's an amazing gift I don't know about anyone listening but I am sold on unschooling (laughs) You make it sound so wonderful, oh, and you know it's um, you know yeah, this I idea to, of I try not to hide the, the fact that it's hard work. I try not to hide um the fact you know my children still squabble and argue, and you know we still all do that real life stuff, but actually how we respond to it is maybe different, and then that in turn has an impact on how those things play out. So, That's wonderful. Well, that is perfect. Thank you so much, Heidi. And where can our listeners find you on Facebook and all that kind of stuff if they wanted to get in touch with you and just ask for any help? And do you, I don't know, you mentioned webinars. Do you do anything like that? Tell us all yes. about you. Tell us so, all about it. Um, my Facebook page is called Live, Play, Learn. I'll send you the link. <laughs> um, 
Um, Put it in the Home Education Matters Facebook group. Yes, that would be helpful. We'll do that. Um, so it's called Live, Play, Learn. And then from there, I post up. So I do a monthly, in fact, I do two monthly webinars that are either one's about specifically about unschooling, the other one's about self-directed learning, um, which includes unschooling. But I do I do lives there. I, sh you know, I share about what we've been up to. If people want to know what a sort of day in the life looks like or. Yeah, lots of other. Oh, I've got a podcast. I've got a podcast. Um, so yeah, so if you yeah, so if you go to the Facebook page, um, that's where you kind of get info on all the other stuff, rather than me giving everything to you. Um, I love I do, fellow I podcasters. I do have a website as well, so um, which is liveplaylearn.org. Okay. Um, which has got some blog posts and a link to the podcast um, on there. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for guiding us through unschooling. I think not only do I think that it will have removed a lot of misconceptions, but I'd be amazed if you haven't got a few signups from this. <laughs> I'm now an unschooler. Well, everyone's everyone's welcome. So even if you um, don't consider yourself an unschooler and you're still really interested, like what does this look like? You know, so some people start off school at home-ish and it's not really, it doesn't feel very comfortable. It's not really working out. It's a bit of a struggle and they'd want to see what else is out there absolutely the page is the place to be because just because you can because I showcase what we do like this is what it looks mm. like and so if you just want to read about how it works you don't have to be an unschooler to be there in that space it's for the it's for the purpose of sort of you know showcasing what unschooling is and how it and how it works so everyone's welcome to come and have a look Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Heidi. It's been a real pleasure talking to you today. Yeah, I'm going to come and check out your podcast. That sounds very cool. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us for today's Home Education Matters podcast. See you at the next one. Have a lovely day.